Welcome to This Is Me. My name is Siobhan. We all know someone with a battle. This weekly podcast is where I talk with everyday Australians as they share their life-changing moments. Some of these stories are sad, but all of them are inspiring. This week, we hear Lauren's story. A trigger warning, this podcast contains stories about self-harm, domestic violence and eating disorders. So I'm sitting in my lounge room at the moment. It's a cold day. It's very cold. And I've got the fire going. And I'm sitting with a lady. Hey, my name's Lauren. I still remember so clearly being diagnosed with the severity of the depression and anxiety that I did have. And I walked into the garage and I found the most poisonous bottle I could and I drank it. I genuinely wanted to die. There's some stains on your photo Little cracks on your rusty frame I was born in Melbourne uh, and I, that was about, <laughs> it was 89 and yeah, it was just mum, dad and I in the city and very quickly moved to the country and that's where I spent a whole of primary school. I did heaps of sports. I have two sisters, I'm the eldest of three. We took a holiday to Queensland and I thought, oh, this is a fun holiday. And I was at the stage where I was starting to look at high schools and all my friends were doing their orientation days. And I said to mum and dad, you better not be thinking about moving to Queensland because they took us on a second holiday in the same year. And I thought, no, 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 you're not doing this to me. (laughs) And then they did. So we moved to Queensland when I was 12 and about to start high school and It was a very different experience living in a city as compared to where I'm from. Being in, first of all, an all-girls school was a shock to my system. Being the sporty girl that I was, I wanted to hang out with the boys. And then starting high school, taking a bus to school instead of just being able to walk everywhere, not being able to ride my bike wherever I wanted. Total culture shock. And I definitely started changing as a kid. <laughs> started to, you know, like the boys and still did my sport, but <laughs> like liked boys quite a bit. <laughs> the first year of high school, like I had the short hair. I just wanted to play sport. That's all I wanted to do. I remember the first day of school, I knew no one. And I just had to kind of pick out a table, just walked up to them and said, hey, my name's Lauren, I'm from Victoria, I don't know anyone, can I sit with you please? And they ended up being my friends for a little while and then once I got to know a few more people, it kind of just bounced around. And that was me for the rest of the high, like my high school. And then what happened? Uh, well, I was doing really well at school, I was a great student and then I got a boyfriend in year 12 And I was up for a really high OP. I was doing great. Then, yeah, it was a very toxic relationship and my mental health story starts right there. How long were you seeing this boy for? In total, it was about 11 months. He went to a close-by school, so we had a lot of mutual friends. I felt really cool that I was dating this guy that everyone, like, knew. No one knew what was going on behind closed doors, obviously. Um, And I hit it. The entire time. Still to this day, I don't think anyone really knows who it is, but that's not for me to tell. Can I ask why it was toxic? 
the first thing that happened quite early on in the relationship is that I stood on his toe when I got hit in the face and that was just like his knee-jerk reaction and from there on it was a, a mixture of things it was a lot of like emotional manipulation uh, I got locked in the back room of the house when his grandma came over um, I got dragged I had a knife put to my throat I yeah, it was a lot of things that you know it just accumulated and, you know, my depression made me break out really bad in the face and mum took me to a dermatologist, bought me really expensive makeup because nothing would actually sit on my face but I wasn't allowed to wear it. Uh, different clothes that I could wear to different things, even just a family dinner. Um, so why do you think he stayed in that relationship? Infatuation. Uh just he was really good looking and I just remember thinking oh this is like I'm dating the cool guy I just I think any high school girl's dream is to date the the cool guy and I just got infatuated with that even though I was scared out of my wits when these things happened was this at your house or his house never happened at my house he never came to my house because my parents would not have him there they didn't know what was going on. They knew obviously something was because I'd been diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression about one month into the relationship. But uh, they didn't know about the violence and the, you know, the kind of mental torture that I was going through at that stage. I was very good at hiding it. It was just hidden. Was there a particular moment during this relationship that your life changed completely? I think a big moment that I still remember so clearly is being diagnosed with the severity of the depression and anxiety that I did have. I didn't know anything about mental illness, mental health or anything. I kind of sat there like, does this just mean I have to be sad all the time now? Is this just me? I didn't know what to do. So you mentioned to me that you had a few episodes where you were looking to take your own life? Suicide is completely fine to say because that's what it is. And for someone that's never been in that mindset, it's, you know, you'd never be able to fully imagine what goes through someone's head at that stage, which I completely understand. Uh... Can you, well, you would remember the first time you thought, enough's enough, I don't want to live anymore? It was actually an everyday thought. It was always sitting in my head. I was on very strong medication at that stage and as soon as mum and dad were at work, I was straight into the cupboard taking more than I should and uh, I don't know how I got away with it. When I ran out of pills or dad would lock them up because he noticed, I would take... Uh, pain medication. I would take whatever was in the cupboard. I would overdose on it and sleep for the rest of the day. The thought process in my head was I didn't really want to live the days out. I just wanted to sleep or have a drink or, you know, I didn't really care. What age were you? What age were you when this first happened? The... The The depth of it was probably 18. Okay, so you'd finished school? I didn't actually finish. I was left about one month out 
uh, mentally couldn't handle it. I was in the counsellor's office every second day when I did go to school because all I would do was just cry and cry and cry. And uh, no one really could understand what was going on with me, so it was just best. I just would take my work and sit on the counsellor's floor by myself. Were you still seeing this same boy? I wasn't technically seeing him as much. I was trying to, I guess, edge my way out of it. My parents were trying to help me find things to occupy my time and show me that there's better things to do in life. Um, and when I started going to college, I that's when I got the courage to end it all and never saw him again. Did you say at the age of 18 is when you were like, yep. I held so much in for so long when the, everything was going on because I didn't tell anyone. Not telling anyone, not telling any of my friends, only kind of telling my parents the bare minimum. Keeping all that inside did no help to my health. I partied and that's really where I started to kind of lose control of my life. And that's where my attempt first began, probably six months later. Can you talk me through your first attempt? I was at home and I think mum had gotten a little bit angry at me for not making my bed that morning. And she was about to head off to work. And I was just, this is how just so on edge I was all the time. It was as simple as her mentioning something about making my bed or at least doing something that day. And when she left, I was like, enough, <laughs> screw this, I, I can't do it anymore. And I walked into the garage and I found the most poisonous bottle I could and I drank it. I remember waking up in Redcliffe Hospital. That's probably the most candid way I've ever told that story because no one's ever really asked because everyone's normally too scared to ask. And that's just one of my many attempts. Went into the garage, determined. Yeah, whatever bottle said poison. And what was the bottle of? It was eucalyptus oil. To this day, I still can't smell it because I start gagging and I think it takes me back to then Um, but I drank the entire bottle I'm getting this horrible yuck feeling in my throat right now Um, I think I was so pumped full of adrenaline and so determined to just knock it off that the taste meant nothing I remember this oily feeling Um, but I think it was pretty quick to take action and the amount that I had, I was out very quickly. I must have texted something to a friend just before it because mum and dad were both at work and mum worked at the local shopping centre and I think I remember her saying that she was going out to her car and she saw this ambulance speeding down Gympie Road in Strathpine and she goes, fuck, I hope that's not for Lauren. And it was her time for her to leave work and she said she drove behind this thing the whole time and then realised the ambulance was going to her house. And by then, uh, I think there was mum, obviously the ambulance, and then I think there was like five or six of my friends had turned up, um, obviously banded together and came over and watched me get wheeled out on the stretcher. I think mum and dad were always scared of leaving me alone. So you woke up at Redcliffe Hospital? Yeah. And they told me, try this again and you won't leave. 
I don't remember what happened when we got home. It's something that's not really talked about in our family and I'd never thought about how they handled it because we'd never talked about it. It was kind of just, Lauren was sick, Lauren's not sick now, so let's not talk about it and move on. So we had the first incident and there were more. I got caught twice more. But there were ones that I tried and they, the way that I tried it just didn't work and no one knows about those ones. I don't want to offend you when I ask this question, but no. were they a cry for help or were you really oh, wanting to end I life? I wanted to die. I genuinely wanted to die. I knew that if I asked my mum or dad for help, they would help me. They didn't know how to help me because they tried so hard for so long. But I genuinely didn't want to be here. I couldn't handle my head the way that my head spoke to me. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I didn't want to be here. I pushed my dad to the point where he needed antidepressants. Um, he's always worked his absolute ring hole off and he works so hard and does anything he can for his family. So I think the stress of his job and then me on top, he, he was always the one I turned to. So when I was on my way to work, I would always have the most crippling anxiety. I was not a human when this hit me. And this was most days of the week where I would have this absolutely amazing job, be surrounded by amazing people. And for the first couple of months, I would love that job. I worked my ass off and I loved it. And then one day my anxiety would hit me and I would overdose in my car on the way to work and call dad or no one would know where I was. There was one job where the owner of the company, and this was a quite a big company called my dad after trying to call me a million times called my dad and he's like shit shit instantly knew what would have happened and I was found in my car on the side of the road near the office absolutely out of my brain just passed out so you take a whole packet of Panadol which is what how many times 24 right yeah did it start to take effect, which is why you couldn't take two packets? Is it that you didn't have enough? At that stage, that wasn't an attempt on my life. Like These things were just to take that anxiety away. So if I had something that made me woozy and put me to sleep, good, I don't have to deal with the anxiety anymore. I can't even put a word to it how painful that anxiety was. It, it, it took Lauren away from me. No one would get a sentence from me. I would cry, I would scream, I would bang on my steering wheel like I was just not a monster, but I just didn't know how to handle everything that was going up in my head. So I did what I knew best. And obviously after doing that for a while, your body becomes immune to it. So you need to do more, you need to take more. And like I knew or felt like I was doing something wrong and sneaky, but I was just coping the way the only way that I knew how to cope how did your friends react uh I think they were scared to be honest to see me crying all the time and being in the counselor's office it's I kind of just segregated myself because I was scared of what people thought and I tried to have good days and I would and then I'd go back to something else 
and I um, I did have a, a I only remember like one or two really really amazing friends that they wouldn't care what I did in my life they would never leave my side and they're still by my side to this day and I lost a lot of friends because when I went to a party, I wouldn't just party. I would get to the point of being so drunk that I would have a breakdown and cry in a bush or scream because I was in so much pain but no one knew why. And soon enough, I just had to stop going anywhere. I checked myself into a mental health facility uh, where I could try to start getting some help. But when I did that, I was surrounded by people with eating disorders, which I'd not experienced at that stage, and uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, and I was looked around and I'm like, I'm nothing like these people. I'm nothing like them. But then I didn't know any... Even though I had it, I still didn't know much about it. This day, I look at people and I think, gosh, I just... Everyone's dealing with different versions of the same shit. And I was so much like these people. I just didn't know it. And... I stayed there for as long as I could, got in trouble for putting a cord around my neck at one stage. So they took my hair dryers and my hair straightener and I wasn't allowed to shave and that type of thing. So once all that stuff got taken away from me, I begged to be taken out. Luckily, it was voluntary. So I was allowed to leave. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I wanted to kind of try when I was in a good headspace, I wanted to get help. But then otherwise, I just wasn't interested in any sort of help. Were you hospitalised for two other attempts? I got hospitalised for one more. I'd been out and I'd been drinking and something had happened, just the smallest thing triggered me and I overdosed on my antidepressants. Dad walked into the back room, I'd done that already and then I had a knife at my wrist and Dad just picked me up, put me in the car and took me straight to the hospital because I was out of control. Had you cut yourself? It was a thing that I consistently did. Um, That was my third one that I got found by one of my best friends who was one of the only people who knew my hiding spot. Where's your hiding spot? Uh, It was a park that wasn't far from Mum and Dad's, but I would drive my car and just sit there. I would sleep overnight there whenever I needed to. It's where I would disappear if no one needed to find me. And that one time was where I, yeah, I cut myself very badly where I was just covered in blood when I got found. Did you look up how to do this? Like, how did you know how to cut yourself? I Googled it. I also made slideshows for my funeral. I did everything. I planned everything on my own. For this time, this second time? Oh, for every attempt. I had a video made of, like, a slideshow just with music and had it all set so no one needed to do anything once I did die. What was your plan? What was your funeral plan? You know when you you see the news and you see someone's photo and you know that that person's dead just by the way of the photo and just the look of it? I would look at these slideshow photos of me and just see myself dead and, you know, just think, well, I know that there's people out there that would be sad but I just took it upon myself to just kind of mentally see my own funeral before I did it. It sounds 
so crazy when I say it out loud because this is yet again another thing that I've never told anyone. Um, but yeah, I guess that's what I would do is mentally watch my own funeral in my head before it happened. Did you imagine who would come, who would cry? You know, when you're in that headspace, you think you're a burden and that most people in your life would be much better off without you. So even though you know that people will turn up, you also think that their lives will be a lot lighter without the burden of you and what's going on with you and the fact that I couldn't work and the fact that I was sad and out of control and always doing these things to cause my parents and my family stress that I thought they'll be fine as a family of four. That's how my head said it anyway. I've been told that a lot of the things that I did were selfish, uh, but someone going through that never thinks that. They think they're doing a favour. Yes, there are people out there that something like that is a, a cry for help, and sometimes it is. But you need that person to tell you that it's a cry for help. More often than not, they'll they'll admit it's a cry for help. I need help. But 99% of the time, the person's doing it because they really, really genuinely want to do it. And they think that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. People knew that I was sick. My family down in Victoria knew. And everyone wanted to do something to help. They just didn't know how. After your last attempt, how did that become your last? Like, what, what happened? How did it stop? I started hanging out with one of my sisters quite a bit because we were both aged where we could go out. We were going out to the valley and having fun and I got to hang out with her friends. And one of her friends uh, I actually ended up dating for quite a while and he was so amazing. He was funny and just loved me the way I was and I felt like there was nothing wrong with me anymore. Even though he's an amazing person, it wasn't the relationship that I was after and it had developed into an eating disorder by then because I think it was a cry for help. I dealt with the depressive thoughts and it had turned into something else. So because he he, uh, would smoke drugs, so there was a lot of times where he was so out of it that there was just no attention for me. And so I think I started doing this eating disorder so I could get some sort of attention to see if anyone would notice because that wasn't there in terms of our relationship. Was it vomiting or just not eating? It started off with starvation and then I did starvation and laxatives. So he had no idea because he was always high. And it wasn't until we moved house and he opened up one of those big zippy bags that you get from the cheap shops and he tipped it out and all the packets I'd been hiding. It was probably, the bag's about this big, it was probably that high with packets that I'd been hiding. And he just got so, so mad because by then uh, I'd actually been collapsing at work and not telling people why. So you were visibly very thin? Visibly very thin. Uh, I got very thin very quick. Um, and then I worked in retail, so it, I was standing up all day and I started collapsing because of the pain. And um, that's when he and my dad knew that something was wrong, but I wasn't going to admit to them. My mental health, I thought, was good. I just wanted to be skinny. That's all I wanted. So that was, you know, I left that relationship until I met the kid's dad and got pregnant. You still had your eating disorder when you fell pregnant? Mm-hmm. 
I ne- obviously never thought I'd fall pregnant for all the things that I'd done to my body over the years. And then when I did, I thought, shit, something wanted me to fall pregnant, something. And my life changed ultimately the day I found out. So I could see it as a massive blessing in disguise, the fact that after all these things that had been done to my body, somehow I managed to fall pregnant and it was the, the, the day that my life changed. And it's never gone back. <laughs> so I was jobless, 15, 16 weeks pregnant. And then a couple of weeks later, I got dumped. I was at Malulabar with my parents because every Easter we went to, that was our tradition when we moved to Queensland. And I just got this gut feeling, intuition again, messaged uh, the kid's dad and said, is something up? I feel like something's wrong. And he goes, yeah, I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. I was so upset, (laughs) so scared, so upset. I lived at mum and dad's for the rest of that pregnancy. Did it on my own. It was horrible. (laughs) You had another child with this man. I did, yes. Because I've got parents that are still together, that's all I knew. Shit happens, but you still make it work for your kids. That's essentially what I'd grown up with. We had a few good months together and fell pregnant again with Max, and it didn't take long for that to kind of implode and that's where I moved out on my own with the kids. I had postnatal so I was trying to work out what I could do in my life to make myself happy and the kids happy and me be the best mum ever and that was me being out on my own. You're petite Mm -hmm. but I can see a little lump (laughs) under your jumper. Yes. (laughs) What's going on there? I'm 15 weeks with uh, my partner of 18 months. I wasn't really worried about finding someone unless they really wanted to accept the kids as much as they accept me. And we were a package deal. And that type of thing's hard to find as a single parent. I look at you now, you're a vision of health. <laughs> how, how did this stop? Do you still have these thoughts ever? I can recognize them if I ever do, but it's never something that I want to action. Everyone gets to the point when they're so stressed or something's hurting them so badly that, you know, they want to run away from it. I think we all deal with those types of thoughts, but I'm very aware of things that get said in my head. I'm very aware of my emotions and that's how I've learnt to cope and get stronger over the years because if I hadn't have learned these strategies, the things that I've been through in the last six years, I would never have handled So looking ahead, things look really bright. Mm -hmm. Where do you see yourself now in five years? My goal is to be speaking on a bigger scale, to be writing on a bigger scale. I love group fitness. I love just being yelling and motivating and that's where I really come out and shine. I kind of just take life as it comes now because I spent so long in my life wishing the days away that now I'm very grateful for the days What advice would you give to yourself when you were at your most vulnerable? If I could go back and talk to myself in the hardest moment, I picture myself putting my hands on my own shoulders and just looking myself in the eyes and going, Lauren, I promise it gets better. Just keep going. There's some stains on your photo. They all cracks on your rusty Because even though a lot of bad things have happened to me in my life, I'd never change them. I would stop everything that happened to me happening to my kids. 
there was a big stage where I thought there was no hope for me and I had to make my own hope and I did. I don't have a large bank account, I don't drive a nice car, I don't have all these technical things that are meanings of success but my version of success is that I'm not who I used to be so I'm very grateful for every day and for what I do and for the fact that I'm much better than I used to be. It always chokes me up. Everyone's got a story and that story will always help someone else. Suicide is the leading cause of death for Australians aged between 15 and 44. Men are four times more likely to die by suicide than women, and more people die from suicide than road deaths. Most people don't want to die, they just want their pain to stop. Everyone has a role to play in preventing suicide. Choices we make today can help prevent suicide. Get help. You're not alone. Call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 or call 000. Head online to lifeline.org.au.